It is a pleasure for my wife and me to be, be with you uh, once again um, this year. I think this is our third time here, um, and it is um, beginning to feel a bit like home, which is a, which is a good thing. Um, as we uh, turn to God's word, I'll be reading uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, not just verses 17 and 18, but the entire chapter, and I would invite you to turn with me to that chapter. Um, and, um, and page uh, 965 in your pew Bibles. And I'd like to pray uh, before we read the text. Pray with me. Today, Spirit of God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Send out your light and truth today. Give us ears to hear, um, illumine our minds, and enlarge our hearts to know Jesus. Where there is apathy, wake us from our slumber. Where there is weakness of faith, Spirit, beautify Jesus in our hearts. And where there is weariness of heart, uh, make Jesus lovely to our souls. For it's in the name of our Lord Jesus that we pray. Um, amen. Uh, certainly the Spirit of God sanctifies uh, us, his people, in a variety of ways. Uh, we, however, can sometimes focus on one way or another and miss some of the important means that the Spirit uses to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. Certainly, one of the ways the Spirit sanctifies us is by uh, warning us of the consequences of our sin, of our disobedience. Discipline, and who likes spanking, so walk in a straight line. Uh, Paul puts a little bit of a different twist on this in Romans chapter 6 when he says, uh, what benefit did you derive from the things of which you are now ashamed? In other words, look back, that anger, that lust, uh, that greed didn't help you. Why slip into it again? Another means that we've also um, been called upon to use uh, from the scriptures themselves, but also from the Puritans, is to preach the gospel to our own souls, preach the gospel to ourselves. We think of Psalm 103, for example, which the psalmist is saying, you, O soul of mine, remember that your sins are forgiven. Remember that there is healing in God. Remember that you are crowned as one of his sons, daughters, princes, princesses. Remember that he satisfies you with good soul, so don't look elsewhere. There is another theme, though, that we're going to be looking at this morning that may be somewhat neglected. And it is that you become like 
what you worship. There's a thread throughout the scripture, both negatively and positively, that you become like what you worship. I invite you to turn back with me to Psalm uh, 115 for uh, just a moment uh, to get a a sense of of the negative uh, way in which you become like what you worship. Uh, Psalm 115, uh, this is the negative example uh, given of idol worshipers, idol makers and idol worshipers who become the walking dead, um, who become less human as they conduct their worship than they were before they started. Uh, Psalm 115, I'll read beginning at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Uh, Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. I want us to read the scripture now from uh, 2 Corinthians and consider the positive way in which the Spirit uses a view of Jesus to change our hearts. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts such as the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come uh, to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. 
And since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, uh, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Perhaps better, it comes from the Lord of the Spirit. In short, um, as we gaze upon the glory of Jesus, the Spirit changes us to look like him. Now, you may walk into this room this morning somewhat discouraged at your progress. Truth be told, you've been dealing with some of the same stuff for a long time. The call this morning is to look to Jesus again to look to Jesus even more deeply. And there is great hope. There is a slow but sure progress of the Spirit. So slow that at times in my life, I have had to look back and sometimes be reminded by my wife that, yeah, things are better than they used to be. There's progress, glory upon glory, progress that is being made. So the Spirit does change you from one degree of glory to another. There is hope. There is hope. As you gaze on Christ's glory, the Spirit builds glory into you. That is our theme for the morning. Um, as you gaze on Christ's glory, the Spirit builds glory into you. So keep at it, keep looking, keep admiring, keep adoring, keep believing, keep obeying. First of all, gazing then on Christ's glory, gazing on Christ's glory. The spirit alone, of course, unveils your faith. Interesting that Israel couldn't tolerate seeing God's glory. They couldn't gaze on Moses. Moses was unveiled when he was speaking directly to God uh, during their conversations, unveiled. Uh, but then as he came to the people, um, he continued to have that, that uh, unveiled face while he spoke God's word. But then he would cover himself up again so that they couldn't see the temporary and the fading glory. Well, the Spirit uncovers your face, uncovers your heart, unveils your heart, so that you do see the glory of God. And we all, with unveiled face, verse 18 says, 
beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The Spirit's work. We love the Shorter Catechism answer with respect to effectual calling uh, that the Spirit enlightens our minds. We need, we need our, our minds to be enlightened to see. Uh, he renews our wills so that we choose, gladly choose, to embrace Christ. We choose to worship and follow him. If I can risk saying this, I would have liked one more thought put into that catechism. This isn't just how you come to Christ. It's how you live in Christ. It's how you grow as a Christian. We marvel at the Son of God who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and to see him, amazingly, to see him is to see the Father. Of course, it's in the scriptures for us that we see Christ unveiled. We see his glory. God's glory burst into full display in Jesus of Nazareth. And even, even so late in Jesus' ministry, the very last week of his, of his earthly ministry, Philip had the temerity to say, show us the Father. That would be enough for us. Just a glimpse of the Father. They already had it. Paul spells it out for us nicely in chapter 4, um, where he says in verse 6, Let the light shine out of darkness. That light has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, describes his heart in just one text in, in all of the, the Gospels, in all of the New Testament. He describes his heart in one place. And, and this is how he self-describes. You want to know what I'm like? This is what I'm like, Jesus said. Um, he, is, um, um, he is the gentle and lowly one. Matthew chapter 11, he says, I am gentle, I am lowly in heart. Can you see him as such today? He is the one um, who refuses to break a bruised reed. What others would throw away as useless. Um, Jesus is saying, um, your past and your flaws uh, do not disqualify you from a relationship with me, Jesus says, and even being used by me. In fact, it is the bruised reed that is especially the one that is useful to Jesus. He is gentle. He is lowly. Your flaws don't disqualify you. 
if I may daringly put it this way, your flaws qualify you to come to Christ. Jesus, um, in the Gospel of John, it is said of him, um, the hour has come for the Son of, of Man to be glorified. And how would Jesus show his glory on this earth? It is by being lifted up to bring sinners to himself. Just as a a grain of of wheat can only be useful if it falls to the ground and, as it were, dies, that describes both Jesus' life-giving but ours as well as we die to self and we come uh, to faith, by faith, to him and, and grow. We experience the gentleness of his generous rescue. We first of all experience the gentleness of his generous rescue. And then that spirit wrought gentleness and compassion cannot help but rise up in our hearts too. Have you seen that? Have you noticed that in your own life? That embrace of your gentle and lowly Savior gives you a gentleness and tenderness for those around you. Well, the first question I want to ask you today, as we are called to gaze on Christ's glory, is what is it that you have been looking at in your life? What have you been, what do you catch yourself gazing at? as you mindlessly daydream? What do you think about? Well, sometimes we, we, look, we look out there um, and we look at the things that we would like to have that would make us feel more safe, uh, feel more comfortable, feel more fulfilled. Isn't that amazing that, that Amazon has what they call fulfillment centers? You can come to Amazon or, or contact them through the web, web for your bit of, of fulfillment. Isn't that beautiful? Well, that's what our, how our hearts often deceive us. But you can also look in. You can gaze in and, and, and be aware more of your failures than you are of the beauty of Jesus. You can look at yourself. I'm not really changing. It's the same old, same old. And there is is a discouragement because you feel stuck and your eyes are just fastened inward. And the call of the gospel here is instead of looking out or looking in, but to look up, of course, to Jesus, to gaze upon him, to look at your gentle and lowly Savior. I was discipling a young man a couple of, couple of years ago now, uh, back, in, back when I had a job. How's that? <laughs> um, and I was discipling a young man, and, um, and, and it wasn't going great, and we were just kind of bumping along. And then he, he said to me one day, he said, I feel like this was gold. This was gold. I feel like I need to know Jesus better. Oh, yes! I feel like I need to know him better. I encourage you then to identify a passage of scripture that that will help you uh, turn your eyes away from from either looking out there or maybe more importantly without looking inside 
and to, and to look at Jesus. The Lord has been using a very simple and short text for me recently that has been helpful. And, and that is from Psalm 104, 105 verse four. It says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. That's nice and terse and short, isn't it? But seek the Lord and not your own feeling states. Hmm, not a bad place to start. Seek the Lord and his strength. The strength of the risen Christ is always better than what you can generate. And then to seek his presence once or twice a month. Is that what it says? It says, seek his presence continually. This is a way to help. Just one way, there are thousands, but one way to train your heart to look away from self and to look to Christ. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And oh, oh, how we, we don't yet see clearly. And so this is why we include in our looking to God's word to see Jesus more clearly. We, we think of the prayer from Ephesians chapter one. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, that is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. You're asking for three things. You're asking to know him. You're asking him to, asking him to show you the hope that you have. And did you hear what it is? The hope is that you will fully realize on that day when Christ returns, that's the day when God gets his full inheritance, which is his people. And then to know the, finally to know the strength that raised Jesus from the dead. That's why we need these prayers of Paul to guide and shape our prayers and our hearts. Gaze on Christ's glory, and then as you do so, the Spirit promises to transform you. Um, you can't, obviously, you can't change yourself. You've tried that, and you have summoned up uh, the, the self-discipline that you think is necessary in order to make those changes. Given enough time, given enough self-discipline, you can change anything with that American can-do attitude. But it is the spirit who uses means, but it is the spirit who changes us. John Owen uh, explains just how difficult a problem it is that we deal with. Um, he, he describes the real problem, his words, decays of grace. That is, that is a remnant that is left behind when you take your eyes off Jesus and and, and sin, the Romans 7 sin quality just creeps back in and gains, uh, gains more control. Um, the decays of grace, he lists some deadness, coldness, lukewarmness, spiritual stupidity, and senselessness come over us. Well, what hope is there for healing Owens asks, John Owens asks, a fresh 
view of the glory of Christ by faith. A fresh view of Christ, a steady abiding in him, constant contemplation of Christ and his glory has transforming power of the revival of all grace. Contemplation of Christ has the transforming power, the revival of grace. We see the glory of Jesus showing up on another mountain, the Mount of what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, the, um, we, we derive another word of metamorphosis from that word um, in the Greek. Um, and we, are, uh, we see him there uh, transfigured. We see his face uh, shone like the sun. Uh, we see clothes that are as bright as light. And we get a glimpse, we get a glimpse of his future glory um, and when we will be transfigured fully, um, as fully as humans can be into the image, uh, into the image of Christ. And, 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 and we may have, we may have thought when we were reading in Exodus, we may have thought, wouldn't it be amazing, really amazing to see that glory on Moses' face? What could be better than that? But Paul in this chapter in in 2 Corinthians says that that really was a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation because it had no power to change the human heart. And so how much more glorious is the ministry of the spirit With our unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. We are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes um, from the Lord of the Spirit. God uh, traced with his finger uh, the law on Sinai's stone tablets. The Spirit um, reshapes your heart with his finger and his grace. Seeing Jesus then um, gives great benefits in our moving forward, in seeing the spirit shape our hearts after the image of Christ. Seeing Jesus um, gives us one great gift initially is that you finally dare look at yourself. Seeing Jesus well enables you to see yourself better. Calvin puts it this way, one never achieves a clearer knowledge of self unless he has first looked upon God's face. Consider Peter um, in uh, the courtyard at the crucifixion, the trial of Jesus. While Peter's third denial is still echoing throughout the courtyard, Luke is the only one that gives us this detail. Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Their eyes locked. And and what might have just been a second or two would have felt like an hour to Peter. The shame of this exposure with nowhere to hide, nowhere to hide because of the view of Jesus upon him, 
he goes out and he weeps bitterly. But I want to tell you <laughs> that despair and hopelessness uh, aren't bad things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. They, theirs is the kingdom of God. We see Jesus and we get our eyes off of ourselves. Despair and hopelessness can be tools of the spirit to unlock your gaze at yourself and be fastened upon the glory and the beauty of Jesus. Seeing Jesus then, dare, and we're dared to take a look at ourselves, we also experience his great, his great power and freedom. Then we're able to walk in the freedom of the spirit. Um, now, uh, the Lord is the Spirit. Verse 17 says, look at these words with me. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord Jesus would say to Peter, um, after you've turned... And the, the root behind that word turned is, is repentance. There is a, there is a repentance there. Um, Peter, after you've turned, strengthen your brothers. In other, words, in other words, I'm using even your mistakes and your sin and your blatant failure that people will be talking about for 2,000 years or more. <laughs> We're still talking about it. Using even that blatant failure to get you to see, to empower you to see the glory of the gospel. So much so, as he encounters Jesus, who is in his merciful and powerful rescue, he is able then even to rejoice to suffer for Christ, as it says in the book of Acts. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So first of all, dear friends, um, does your gaze upon Jesus ex both expose you but also liberate you. True freedom, it has been said, gives the ability to do what you truly want to do. As a renewed soul, obedience is what you want. Truly, dig down deep enough, it's what you really want to do. And true freedom, in the power of the Spirit, in the resurrection of Christ, gives you the grace to do that. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, the perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. How does, how does that sit with you, just that part of it so far? The perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is a substitute for love of God and of others, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, that is our own loves, our own tastes, our own habits, can do the journey on their own. You experience the freedom and the compassion in that freedom for others because you know his compassion for you. You can experience and practice um, gentleness and patience because you see Jesus' gentle patience with you. 
you are able to shake loose what at times feel like a claw in the brain when you have a resentment towards someone who has perhaps hurt you in a very significant and deep and perhaps extended way and, the, and, and you just can't get yourself free to be able to forgive. Have you ever experienced that? But when you know uh, deeply the forgiveness of Jesus, you are able, you are able then uh, to forgive even that one who has sinned against you. And so people expect the Spirit to be growing you, expect the Spirit to, to, um, to take you from one degree of glory to another. Your, um, Herman Bobbink helped me to see this. I, I don't know that I'd ever noticed it before, but, but your sanctification, your growing in holiness, is really just the early stage of your glorification. In other words, what the Spirit is doing now in sanctifying you is, is a partial piece of the ultimate glorification which is to come. No less powerful. That's the point. The Holy Spirit is, is pressing righteousness into the folds of your heart so that Christ's glory is being formed in you, little by little, into the image of Christ. A million mini glory steps, so small you often miss them. Not yet the glory of heaven, but real nonetheless. Do you see? Have, have you experienced the wind of the spirit in your own soul? Have you seen um, your own self-righteous judging of others melt into patience? Have you seen that? Have you been liberated by that? Have you been set free by that? Have you seen that your once cutting tongue now builds other people up. Even when you're, you're wounded, able to build them up. Have you seen that? We, we would love to see the glory that was displayed on Moses' face. But what we've just described, the glory to glory that the Spirit takes us, is even more majestic. Until one day, one day, you will be like Jesus because you will see him as he is. But people, you are today on the way of that journey. You're on the way now. And so expect the Spirit to change you more and more and again and again. Four questions for you. Are, are things now starting to matter less. Hmm. Do things matter less? We sing the things of this world um, have grown strangely dim. Do you remember that? The, the, having the biggest what? House, shiniest car, latest gadget, whatever it is. Have the things of this world grown strangely dim? Well, well when? What does the hymn go on to say? What fires that? What enables that? In the light 
of his glory and grace. Moses refused sin's fleeting pleasure. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says he considered the reproaches of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Looking ahead, he saw there was greater wealth in Jesus than even the best that Pharaoh could offer. Are things mattering less? Um, Secondly, is is the gentle and lowly Jesus making you more gentle and lowly? Is the more gentle, is, is the gentle and lowly Jesus moving you by, by one step, glory to another glory. I was uh, driving with my parents um, some years ago. They both they both passed on to be with the Lord. But I was driving with my parents up to Philadelphia to um, a commencement exercise in in uh, Westminster Seminary. It was the 60th anniversary of my father's graduation from seminary. And Sam Logan had called and and had written to them and said, would would you please, can you get up to the seminary for a commencement and and would like you to say a few words to the august body there. And uh, my dad told me that. I said, I don't don't believe it. I think you must have gotten this wrong. I don't think this is happening. They were going to put us up, put them up in a hotel room and do all this stuff. So I called Sam and I said, Dad, my dad says he got a letter. Is this, is this true? And, and he said, yes, it's true. Okay. So I take them up and we're driving, we're driving up to Philadelphia from Frederick, Maryland. And um, as we get closer to Philly, my mom a- asks this question. Or she says, Chuck, this looks familiar. Have we lived here before? And dad said, yes, Norm. We lived here. And about 60 seconds later, my mom said, Chuck, this looks familiar. Have we ever lived here? Yes, Norm, we did live here once. Another 60 seconds. Chuck, this looks familiar. Have we ever lived here? And he said, yes, Norm, we once did live here. And I'm driving that car, and I'm barely believing what I'm hearing. I am hearing my father um, answer those, and three is putting it generously. There could have been six of these questions, identical questions. And each time, my dad answered with the same gentle, warm, patient voice, not even a hint of irritation or impatience. That's the privilege I had of seeing grace at work over a long period of time, one degree of glory to another. Looking to Jesus over a period of more than 60 years enabled that gracious and lowly Savior to seep into his heart in such a way that displays the glory of God itself. Is the gentle and lowly Jesus making you more gentle and lowly? 
And parents, um, you have a difficult job and you have a lot of support in this church. I see it and it's a great thing, but it is a difficult thing to raise children in the church who confuse following the commands of God with satisfying God's requirements. It's called moralism. Um, hearing commands without faith can form, uh, can form Pharisees. So here, here's, here's the antidote for that. Parents, are you speaking to your children of Jesus and not just his commands? Are you speaking to your children of Jesus, the person, not just the lawgiver? Do your kids see you happy in Jesus? Do they see you joyful? Do they see you humble enough even to confess your sins to them? Not just your spouse, but to them. Your irritation. Your quickness. To point out what they've done wrong. Are you showing them Jesus, his merciful presence? Has he humbled your proud heart by his mercy? That's the gift you give them, a humble heart, so they can get to know what Jesus is really like. And then fourthly, to, to all, all of us here, do you speak um, of Jesus to one another? Do you speak of Jesus to one another? Uh, a, a pastor friend of mine put it this way a couple of months ago. Um, he, 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 he talked about Holy Spirit sightings at church. <laughs> Holy Spirit sightings. And that is when, when, when people have been humbled and people have, been, have recognized that they have sinned against the Lord or against another person, there is, there is a haste, there is a thoroughness, there is a humility to be able to confess your sins one to another and to then walk in the freedom of integrity, the freedom of vulnerability, the freedom of nobody's better than anybody else because you're confessing your sins to one another. The gospel church doesn't uh, pretend to be perfect. It glories in the cross. Well, finally, and let me wrap up with this one comment. Finally, um, when we've gotten this message, the final judgment, makes sense. Um, you know, Jesus can sound really works-based at times. <laughs> uh, sometimes, he says this, for example, in Matthew, by your words, you will be justified. Oh, wow. By your words, you will be condemned. He goes on to say, a good tree produces what kind of fruit? It actually produces good fruit. And so it is that saving faith, which places you in God's family forever, also um, works 
through love. Faith works through love. Of course, the basis of your acceptance now and on that day of judgment is the imputed righteousness of Jesus, that righteousness that you receive by faith. You, you take what only Jesus can give you. You've given him your sin. He's given you his righteousness. That righteousness is imputed. It is truly yours uh, because you are in Christ. And where the Holy Spirit lives, there will always be fruit If you believe in Jesus, you have the Spirit, and where the Spirit lives, he produces fruit. He proves that you're in Christ and Christ in you. And so have you, is there anyone here this morning who has not yet gazed upon Christ and said, I want him as my Savior. I'm humbling myself before him. Forgive my sins and give me grace to love him, trust him. Well, on that day, on that day of judgment, I, I just have a little picture in my mind that, that I can see the two of you, you and Jesus meeting <laughs> and, and marveling together, you and Jesus, about what the Spirit has done. Don't stop praying for that fruit to ripen in your life. And look forward to receiving from your Savior that smile of appreciation for what the Spirit has done. Let's pray. Lord, we're... We are humbled before you. We marvel at your gifts to us in our Savior. And at the same time, we recognize that our responses are so often technical, mechanical, sometimes efficient, (laughs) but without much of the life of the Spirit. And so we are praying We pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may see more clearly and gain more deeply that knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.